You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 306. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. How are you doing today? December, it is finally, we are finally getting um, around to basically uh, the end of the year. So thought I'd give you a little December news update to start with uh, for our industry. Um, first of all, the software industry today, uh, the news is not so great. Well, the news might be great for shareholders of Spotify, whose uh, who's, uh, 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 price has gone up after this news, but uh, for not so great for the employees. Uh, Spotify has laid off 17% of their workforce, including engineers. That is uh, 1,500 jobs. Um, of course, the uh, the CEO used the term right-sizing, which is uh, always uh, when you don't want to say downsizing, you say right-sizing. Um, nobody ever says right-sizing when they want to hire more people because they think their size is too small, uh, but they use the term right-sizing when they think their size is too big. Um, what's going on here? Uh, it seems like, unfortunately, the, um, the the crash in engineering jobs has continued. I don't think it continues indefinitely, but I think what has happened over the last decade is so many of these, what were once startups, I mean, I believe, wasn't Spotify, Spotify was a pretty small startup, you know, 10 years ago. Let me actually look up I, I actually did not look this up before the show. Let's look up when Spotify was was founded. Um, Spotify was founded in 2006, so probably around you know uh, uh, 2013. It was still a, a medium-ish, smallish company. Um, you know, uh, over the 2010s, as you know, the 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 ideological driver for these companies was hire more and more, get more and more engineers in there builds more and more. Unfortunately, that at some point reached its limit. And I think what's happened now, you know, remember Meta uh, laid off many of its employees. Uh, um, Google did too. Not many of its employees, not like a, a order of magnitude of the company, but but a certain percentage. And so, um, so uh, yeah, I think that the market is readjusting and reallocating um, Engineers, product designers, product professionals, um, and I think that um, I, I, I think that uh, that uh, uh, you know for, for those of us who are engineers, uh, the interesting thing is about being an engineer is that you have to go into business as well. I mean, that's why I got my degree in information systems from NYU, which was both engineering, uh, which was both computer science and and business, because you also have to try to figure out where your skills uh, will be most valued, and it's. You know, it's I haven't been very good at it uh, either, but uh, this is something to watch. It looks like big tech is not the place to be right now. It's probably more like small tech, unless, of course, you get, you know, uh, unless, you, of course, you get to work on AI research, in which case I think it is the place to be. Um, now, uh, talk about how tech jobs have changed. Somebody posted a video, uh, a video that I made, actually, in 2008, and I'll repost it. It was a video I made that w- when I was working at Wireless Generation back in 2008, and it was for the company talent show. And the idea was uh, we were going to make a product in five minutes through a montage. And I had like kind of funny takes on what everyone's job was. 
we had the sync team that was all talking in sync. They were all talking at the same time. It was funny because that was programming for the, uh, the Palm Pilot. And <laughs> there was a whole team involved in figuring out how to sync the data from the Palm Pilot onto the data in your desktop computer. I, come to think of it, uh, those, uh, you know, we, we were using Windows XP uh, and we had desktop computers uh, on our desks there. So I literally had to go into work to, uh, to get any work done. So that it's, it's, it was really cool to, to see that. And I'm glad that someone reposted that um, because, A, I thought the video was going to be really embarrassing, but actually it turned out to be really funny. And it turned out to remind me, hey, you know, it was kind of fun to be at an office that you had to be in and it wasn't work from home. And, you know, there are friendly uh, faces there. Um, and you kind of got to learn a little bit about what everyone was doing, which is unlike, uh, uh, which is very different from the world of the 2020s. Um, so I don't know, maybe people find inspiration. I found inspiration from it because I remembered how creative I used to be, I still am creative, but I do different things now. And so I kind of remembered, oh, I could make, uh, I could make videos. I can like kind of, uh, uh, wait. I was, I take myself too seriously now. Maybe I shouldn't take myself so seriously anymore. I think, uh, I think that would be a, that would be a fun thing. There, there's a really funny scene in that where like one of our database administrators was like haranguing me about the sequel I wrote, you know, what are you doing to our database? <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, but um, yeah, definitely check that out. Localmaxradio.com slash 306. I'll, I'll put up that uh, wireless generation talent show video from 2008. Someone said, look, it's baby Max. It's uh, me from, from right out of college. All right. Now we're starting to get a little bit of a picture of what happened at OpenAI. We still don't know for sure, but uh, since the last time I gave my news update, Sam Altman, uh, founder and CEO at OpenAI, has been reinstated as CEO of OpenAI, according to Fox Business. Sam Altman confirmed on Wednesday that he was returning to the helm at OpenAI as CEO nearly two weeks after he was ousted from the company he co-founded. In a blog post on OpenAI, Altman said he was returning, his replacement would resume her previous role, and the new initial board will consist of Brett Taylor as chair, Larry Summers, and Adam D'Angelo. I've never been more excited about the future, Altman said. I am extremely grateful for everyone's hard work in an unclear and unprecedented situation. Uh, talk about unprecedented, but we'll get to that in a minute. And I believe our resilience and spirit sets uh, set us apart in the industry. I feel so, so good about our probability for success, uh, of success for achieving our mission. Well, you know, what a absolute roller coaster ride for these guys. Uh, this company is worth many, many billions. It's not like the next unicorn, uh, a unicorn, like a Silicon Valley unicorn and something worth a billion dollars. This company is already worth many tens of billions of dollars. And I think this and and the the employees know that this has the opportunity to be one of the next trillion dollar companies or like like a great shot at it. Uh, will it own AI entirely? Probably not. You know, its its market share remains to be seen. Uh, how does the market shape shake out over the next couple of years? Do other companies catch up? Uh, it does seem like they have a pretty strong lead um, on their initial products. Sometimes initial products. Uh, falter and 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 fail to the to the follow-ons, but uh, people are are really getting addicted to Chat GPT. People are 
are using their API, um, which is not so much a, a consumer addiction, but you know, once you use someone's API, you really don't want to switch. You really need a very good reason to switch. Uh, so uh, they are getting their tentacles into the internet, so to speak, and uh, and that's very good for them. Uh, lots of great applications of AI, I think, can spawn smaller companies as well. Uh, so it looks like Mr. Altman is firmly in control of the future of OpenAI here. Uh, how did he do it? It says OpenAI was in turmoil following Altman's all ouster as nearly all of the company's 770 or so employees signed a letter threatening to join Altman at Microsoft unless he was reinstated and the board stepped down. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, So that's pretty incredible. Um, You know, it doesn't matter what you think of Altman. It's pretty incredible that a, um, that all of the employees banded together and not in like a, uh, not in like a unionization sort of a way, not in like, a, you know, you know, we want this and this and this, uh, you know, the, I mean, th- these employees uh, are, are likely, for, for the most part, already very wealthy, at least on paper, not liquid, but on paper. But, you know, for them, it really, really matters. <laughs> they almost have a bigger stake in the company than the, than the board does, it seems. Um, so it, it's amazing to see how all the employees can get together and, you know, make a a uh, uh, well, uh, threatening letter. I don't want to say make a make a make a threat like it's some kind of a illegal thing, but um, you know, say, hey, we will take this action and join this other company unless you make X, Y, and Z uh, personnel changes or or executive changes, and uh, and they won. So uh, pretty incredible to look at the. Uh, power dynamics here. Uh, we're still putting together the pieces of what happened. There was a lot of speculation. Was it corporate politics? You know, it looks like uh, they're all playing politics internally with the the board of directors. Um, you know, like like Sam is, uh, um, the others are. I'm really bad at this personally. I think you know, playing politics at uh, um, with uh, with business and work. I don't know. Maybe I could do it if I were put in this situation, but I would at least try to be consistent and ethical. Uh, From what the article says, it doesn't sound like Sam did anything that kind of crossed a red line, but it certainly rubbed people the wrong way. It says uh, from Business Insider, some members of the OpenAI board had found Altman an unnervingly slippery operator. For example, earlier this fall, he confronted one member, Helen Toner, a director at the Center for Security and Emerging Technology at Georgetown University for co-writing a paper that seemed to criticize OpenAI for stoking the flames of AI hype, something that uh, she's not alone in. A lot of people feel that way. Toner had defended herself, though she later apologized to the board for not anticipating for how the paper might be perceived. Altman began approaching other board members individually about replacing her. When these board members compared notes about the conversation, some felt that Altman had misrepresented them as supporting Toner's removal. He'd play them off against each other by lying about what other people thought. I mean, that is something that that does rub me the wrong way at work when someone says, oh, so-and-so is saying that you need to do this. And then you talk to so-and-so. And so-and-so says, what? I never said that. That wasn't, you know. And so they kind of give the false idea that everyone's on the same page. And, uh, and that there, are opera- there are a lot of middle managers like that. And so I don't know if, if uh, Sam Altman was doing this purposefully, but um, 
But no, I can see why people doesn't don't don't like that. Maybe that wasn't a, a good reason to you know remove the CEO. Um, but uh, um, but I can see why they don't like it. Okay, so, you know I've been thinking about what my takeaway is with that. You know if, if that's true, I, I think this pales in comparison, for example, with some of the stuff Steve Jobs used to do. You know, on one hand, we've had a, a string of well-known frauds in in the tech industry across the industry in general. Like, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried comes to mind. Elizabeth Holmes comes to mind. I mean, not just Sam Bankman-Fried. All, a lot of the crypto people, Elizabeth Holmes. Um, if I could trade those for for these so-called slippery operators, I, I would. Uh, but I wonder if there's a way to avoid either. You know, in any case, Sam was obviously one of the people who got the company to where it is. He can share that achievement with others, but he absolutely has earned his role as far as I'm concerned. Uh, according to this, the new board will be more... Uh, friendly towards their investor, Microsoft, and also contains Larry Summers, who somehow is involved with everything. Um, no more Ilya, uh, but I hope Sam and Ilya uh, don't become enemies because they they created this together. Ilya, as you remember, is, you know, I think, you know, probably the most well-known engineer at the companies. You know, he probably had a, the biggest hand in terms of developing this technology. He was the one who said, if you remember, um, uh, a bunch of episodes ago, and I, I should look this up, but he said, hey, maybe our, uh, our, um, our code is a little bit conscious, you know? It's, uh, right, uh, February 2022, AI consciousness controversy, right. Ilya Sutskever wrote a tweet saying, oh, what we're working on is a little bit conscious, and uh, of course, I think that's ridiculous. But, you know, um, Maybe that was one of the examples of stoking AI hype. But, you know, it doesn't mean that Ilya Sutskever doesn't know what he's doing when creating this technology. Uh, he obviously, he obviously uh, 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 has done some incredible work. Another rumor that has come out of this that seems to have died down that, that it's, is, is, is not the case was that they were working on uh, this uh, Q-Star system, this Q-Star model, and that this was going to solve um, uh, artificial general intelligence, the first super intelligent uh, machine, and that was going to change the world. And, uh, you know, the board was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And the employees were like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Okay. And then, like, you know, they, they had a fight over what to do about it. And that, that led to this whole kerfuffle, per se. That's a crazy how that rumor spreads. spreads. So Q Star, from what I understand, and I'm getting this from uh, technologyreview.com, uh, this is their model to work on mathematics. And so the very interesting model, it touches on the field of formal methods and automated proofs. I took an automated deduction class in, uh, at NYU. I've always been very interested in automated deduction. Can you do math in, in an automated way? It turns out that a lot of mathematics you can do um, through algorithm, through an automated way. Uh, but when it comes to the highest level of mathematical proofs and um, trying to understand the mathematical truths of the universe, I don't even want to say of the universe because usually the universe is physical truths. Mathematics is just the, the, ult, is the base layer, the, the logical truths. Um, you can't use, the, you know, you, 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 the uh, the algorithms and, and 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 randomly searching for correct statements can only take you so far. It requires creativity. It requires planning. It requires intuition. Um, so 
I think though that that now um, with AI at the level is it stands to reason and automated provers have have been around for quite a while. Very, very uh, interesting level of research. Very, very high level abstract thinking has to go into that research. It stands to reason that machines, even large language models, uh, would be great collaborators uh, in this space of uh, automating mathematics. But I should say it's hardly artificial general intelligence. I think that our toughest math riddles today, some of them are not solvable at all. Uh, some of them will be solved by AI that, that, that can't be solved by, by humans. I believe that we will see a, a string of them and probably very soon, very soon in mathematics is 20 years uh, because you know, mathematics is, is a very slow moving, uh, it, well, it's not necessarily a slow moving field, but it's like, if you're talking about mathematics from a hundred years ago, that's still like super advanced. You have, you know, <laughs> the stuff in, that you learn in high school is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, you know, but so I think that, um, I think this technology is going to do that, but most of these won't have practical applications in super intelligence for, for quite a while. I'm trying to think if any of them would have, uh, would have any practical applications. Like, you know, what if we solve the, the Riemann hypothesis? Well, that certainly would be a, a mathematical breakthrough. I, I'd, um, I wish I knew more about what the, the practical applicability of that. Hopefully not break encryption. Hopefully not that, uh, because then we've got, uh, then we've got a, uh, <laughs> We've got a problem on our hands. A bit of a, uh, bit of a, uh, bit of a conundrum in in terms of uh, uh, both banking and um, all security on the internet and and international security as well. So um, we'll, uh, we'll 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 see about that. Um, but hey, I think that the um, you know I think that's the premise of the finale of the HBO show Silicon Valley. I probably shouldn't give too many spoilers. Uh, but this is not so bad. I think the premise was that their uh, their AI broke encryption, and they were trying to figure out what to do. Um, so, uh, to, to make a long story short, um, Pedro Domingo, a famed AI researcher and the author of the Master Algorithm, posted on Twitter on X, "Open AI history in a nutshell: more and more hype about less and less, culminating in Q star is." AGI, QSTAR's Artificial General Intelligence, she says, is not. Despite the hype, though, it still strikes me that, that these guys have put together uh, an incredible technology with incredible, uh, uh, an incredible product with incredible technology. So that can't be discounted, even if there's a, you know, even if there's the, the, uh, uh, the urge to, um, the urge to embellish, the urge to to, to hype up, I, I think I think that 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 always that always happens. Um, all right, Innovate Forge uh, on Medium wrote a little bit more about QSTAR. If you're interested, um, while the development of QSTAR is a notable example of the progress being made in the field of artificial general intelligence, it has also raised concerns about its potential impact on humanity. Some researchers has, have warned the board of directors at OpenAI that the breakthrough could threaten humanity if not properly managed. Now, notice this was written, uh, you know, before when people were. This was part of the speculatory bubble after the whole, uh, after the whole uh, corporate politics, while the all, all the corporate. Uh, uh, turmoil was taking place. Uh, he writes, the exact safety concerns noted in the letter are not specified, but there has been ongoing discussion among computer scientists about the danger posed by highly intelligent machines. 
apparently has in it a lot of learning, planning, and reasoning, which of course you need for automated deduction. So that's just a piece, but um, what will the world like in look like in 2030 with all of this technology having matured and all of this technology being at the forefront? You know, we're starting to catch a glimpse of it, and it's something that I want to explore over the coming weeks and months uh, here on the local maximum. Um, really, really interesting piece of technology that has come out uh, or, or, you know, announcement, I guess, that, 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 that came out over the last few days uh, that, you know, all of us should be interested in for the future. Researchers from NYU and Meta introduced DOB-E, D-O-B-B-E. I wonder if they're getting it from the, the Harry Potter elf, uh, elf and, uh, and, uh, and, and Dolly, which was the, the image one. But anyway, DOB-E, an open source and general framework for learning household robotic uh, manipulation. This is a home robot system. Maybe uh, finally an upgrade to that Roomba. I don't know how many of you have a Roomba. It kind of aimlessly wanders around your floor bumping into things. It doesn't seem very smart. Um, you know, it came out probably 20 years ago now. And has it improved that much in 20? It came out 20 years ago and you're like, well, it's dumb, but you know, it's 2003. Maybe by 2013, it'll be super smart and start sweeping the floor in all the right places and, you know, be able to put everything in the trash can. Well, that's a, 2013 rolled around and the Roombas were pretty much exactly the same. 2023 rolled around. The Roombas were pretty much exactly the same. But Dobby is is different. It actually is. A, it actually stands up. It manipulates things. Um, the, the 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 uh um if going to uh to Market Tech uh, uh post uh for example. Uh, sorry, uh, going, going to the article, for example, uh, the study recognizes recent strides in amassing ex extensive robotics data sets, emphasizing the uniqueness of their data set centered on household and first-person robotic interactions, leveraging iPhone capabilities. The data set provides high-quality action and rare depth information compared to existing automated manipulation-focused representation models. Indomade pre-training for generalizable representations is highlighted. Okay, I'll go through that. The forward addresses challenges in creating a comprehensive home assistant, advocating a shift from controlled environments to real homes. And you can see the videos of this thing, you know, doing tasks in real home, like unplugging things, plugging things back in, taking things in and out of the laundry. Uh, efficiency, safety, and user comfort are stressed. Introducing Dobby as a framework for embodying these principles. Further down, in conclusion, Dobby is a cost-effective and versatile robotic manipulation system tested in various home environments with an impressive 81% success rate. The system's software stack, model, data, and hardware designs have been generously open-sourced by the Dobby team to advance home ro robot research and promote the widespread adoption of robot butlers. The success of Dobby can be attributed to its powerful yet simple methods, including behavior, cloning, 
and a two-layer neural network for action prediction. And that's two-layer neural network. It's not that deep. Um, but uh, this is just for action prediction. Like I, am, I plug something in, it'll do that, I guess. The experiments also provided insights into the challenges of lighting conditions and shadows uh, affecting task execution. So unlike self-driving cars, and those people in New York will know what I'm talking about, uh, self-driving cars are, were first introduced in Arizona. Now they are introduced into California. New Yorkers must feel like self-driving cars are going to come to New York City dead last. You know, they'll have every, everywhere in the country. And then New York City, I don't know if we can handle a self-driving car. Maybe we can. Uh, but this household robot thing is, uh, is starting in New York first. It's New York City first technology. So that's kind of cool. Um, and... You know, it's exciting to see that this idea of the robot butler is going to be a kind of a fast follow, I think, to the self-driving car. Um, you know, because the self-driving car unlocks so much more economic potential. But then it's like, well, you know, where, where's my where's my robot? Uh, where's my robot? You know. Uh, uh, cleaner. Where's my robot chef? Where's my you know robot butler? You know uh, to, to kind of tidying things up. Uh, perhaps the Jetsons world that Jeffrey Tucker once predicted, but then lamented after the reality of big tech set in, uh, is in fact coming uh, uh, to to fruition very soon. I spoke to Jeff Tucker on episode seventy five of the Local Maximum, so um, maybe you should uh, maybe you should check that out. All right. So uh, I hope to have on Aaron, Aaron on soon, and I have several interviews in the can that I want to share with you. Another one about the Constitution, and this morning, I had a really interesting conversation with Michael Callahan of the Where We Go Next podcast. I was on his show, and then he came on my show, and we talked a lot about the um, uh, the the. Uh, uh, the, our, our discussion kind of focused on the intersection of technology and um, identity and how we relate to people. I I thought it was a, a fascinating discussion, a really great um, a really great one to listen to. So so look out for that one soon. Um, also, I'm going to post. Uh, you know, there's there's an episode. I'm going to throw back to another episode recently based on something uh, that I went to tonight because uh, earlier this year. I did an episode, uh, episode 272 with Chris Wiggins and Matthew Jones on the history of data science. And they were actually at, at Betaworks today uh, discussing that book yet again. And we got into kind of the, uh, 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 the ethics of data. Someone asked a really interesting question uh, who was like an outsider from data science saying like, you know, are these models going to be seen as uh, particularly these AI models going to be seen as the truth. Well, okay, this gives us an answer. So this is going to be our truth. And, um, you know, are, is that a problem? And, I, and, and as, as Chris put it, I mean, I knew this, but I, but I think he said it very well, is that people on the inside building these models, we all know that there is, there was a lot of kind of subjective decisions that went into it. Uh, and I think the the problem is that people on the outside um, often see it as some kind of magic box. It's always the people who are using it. So I thought it was a very interesting discussion. Kind of makes me want to go back to episode two seventy two. So uh, definitely check it out. 
Um, all right. Uh, uh, let's see. So, uh, um, and, and also look out for, um, all of my, uh, discussions, uh, in the future. One thing to end on, maybe it's not a, a, a very positive note, obviously, um, in the news have been, you know, watching these, um, almost surreal, uh, uh, negotiations between Israel and Hamas with the, uh, with the prisoner swaps and, 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 and the hostages that are just, you know, random people taken from Israel into into the Gaza Strip. I mean, that that has got to be probably the toughest. Uh, this has got to be probably the toughest conflict to watch of any that I've lived to. Um, you know, especially with with the situation, that whole situation with hostage and the fighting in the urban areas. Um, I worry about what the outcome will be. I hope that some re- there is some resolution at the end of this coming soon and. Um, uh, man, I hope the conversation we're having here in America uh, and around the world improves. Uh, if you want to uh, listen to something on the history of the conflict, I've listened to like so much stuff on that recently. Uh, some of it is, you know, kind of incredibly biased and advocacy based, and, and some of it's good, some of it's not so good. I really enjoy enjoyed the one that Henry Abramson put out recently, so I'm going to post that uh, as well. Um, and, um, yeah, so, all right. Uh, that, that's it. Uh, we'll get to the interviews soon and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have Aaron on soon. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show to support the local maximum sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power. 